Hello, and welcome to episode 62 of the 21 Handshake Marketing Podcast. If you are new to listening, welcome. Our podcast covers social media news and digital marketing trends for anyone who is involved in business. So whether you are in B2B or B2C, and whether you are on the marketing or the sales team, we go over tips, trends, and leave you with some actionable items to apply or think about. So first off, if you are new, I'm Sarah, account manager here at 21 Handshake. I'm Ashley, also an account manager. My name is Alex. I'm in charge of visual content. So if you are new to tuning in, sometimes we have guests along with us. Today we don't, so we are just deep diving into an interesting new study from Forrester about how B2B and B2C companies face similar hurdles with complex buyer journeys. So super long title there for this study, but it is super interesting. And we're going to deep dive in to these two not so different customer types as we're learning out and how they kind of are converging together and having similar buying patterns these days. But first off, we always have a digital marketing news segment where we dive into what has caught our eye over the last week in digital and our social media marketing. So first off, Alex, I thought this was super interesting, especially as we just had a guest on who was talking about AI. So you want to go back to that episode and listen to it. I believe that was episode 15, no, no, episode 60. So we will link that in the show notes all about AI and how it works for marketing. But Adobe is now using AI to kind of help combat the fake news that often is happening in our world today. Uh, well, it has to do specifically with pictures and video, actually. Okay. Um, so helping detect videos that have been photoshopped in some way or videos having uh, specifically spotting what they call deep fakes. This is a term that okay. you'll probably start hearing more of. I guess it originated in like, right as its roots in like 2017, so it hasn't been around for very long. But a deep fake, and this is one word, deep fake, um, is a technique for human human image synthesis based on artificial intelligence. Oh, wow. Um, so it has the ability to, a, a simple application of it in like in our environment would be like someone like taking their picture and like making themselves pretty or more handsome like on instagram or something like that okay um but there are other ways that people are tampering with pictures to make them um make the objective of the picture not what it was like originally meant to be or people like tamper with it so that it you know uh, for for example um the article that they or the example that they have in this article is actually with a video of Mark Zuckerberg. Um, and in the video, he is it's a deep fake video. And he says, imagine this for a second. One man with total control of billions of people's stolen data, all their secrets, their lives, and their futures. And it yeah. looks extremely realistic. Um, but it was it was a deep fake video. And it was actually, um, it was not a malicious video. It was, commissioned, it was a commissioned art installation by a company called Canny AI designed to highlight the dangers of those types of videos. Wow. So um, it could actually, in reality, if that had been posted and gone viral, an evidence kind of of a fake news story that suddenly people believe and start kind of spiraling out of control, not yeah. really knowing, oh, who started the source, but now we all believe it because it could be kind of true. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's uh, to an extent, I think like fake news these days, like you can you can try and do some Google searches, try and figure out for yourself if there's mm -hmm. if the source is reliable yeah. or if the, the, the outlet is reliable, et cetera. Um, but now if, you know, videos are tailored in such a way that they look extremely realistic, there's no way for you to 
it's going to get a lot harder to distinguish distinguish between like reality and and, and there real. are new tools it For seems fake. like that are coming out um that is making it easier to fake things like um you know how apple has the like it's not like face recognition the, it's like in emoji stuff Yes, like that kind of technology, though. Oh, the face and ID and all that. Face kind of, ID. Yeah. And mm. um, I think even when that rolled out, there was this article about how easy it would be to like um, manipulate your face to look like somebody else's, um, and even on video. Um, yeah. And so I think that's a great tool to combat some of those things. Yeah, very cool. And how nice that a large company such as Adobe, who is at the forefront of images and design is kind of leading the charge with that that's you know that it's kind of a nice feeling to see a big company step up but alex totally we don't have to go into this right now but i'm so curious on how it actually works and who adobe is partnering with for all of this as uh, well they are partnering with uh university of california okay and then like yep. how will this get deployed like will you know, like, do you have to buy in to use it? Like, that's, I, that's what I'm curious. Like, how does that This seems happen? like it's still very much in, like, research and development stage. Okay. okay. Um, this is not, I don't think that this is something that's going to be, like, immediately accessible to like, your your average consumer. Right. Like, I could see, like, maybe Facebook buys into yes. it, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, you know, other like a social. super enterprise level platform yeah, type definitely. thing. Yeah. Maybe some politicians, Maybe. that type of thing. Yeah. Okay, cool. Very cool. Well, we will link that in the show notes and definitely just something super interesting in today's world that is moving so fast with all type of stories that just take off like wildfire. <laughs> seriously. Yeah, seriously. So moving on to our next story. Um, now, this is just a little kind of just quick story here. If you hadn't heard Tumblr, and if you aren't even sure what Tumblr is or was, it was a go-to blogging platform back in the day. It's kind of had a resurgence in the last maybe year, six months to a year. Um, but they have now been acquired by WordPress. So I think that was a very strategic move and a smart move for WordPress to go ahead and acquire that. Um, Tumblr had been kind of tossed around for a while. Um, I believe Yahoo bought it and the Verizon bought Yahoo. So it's kind of been in this flux transition. But I believe that's a very smart move, WordPress, um, to put down the money. Actually, the WordPress owner, which is named Automatic, um, that funding company, bought Tumblr. And while they say there won't be really any changes right now across the two platforms, um, I, again, I just think it makes sense. WordPress got its roots started as a blogging platform. Um, now, obviously, it's moved into the number one website development company, um, and so, you know, them to acquire Tumblr just means that they are, you know, gathering even just more of that blogging sphere mm -hmm. world. Um, yes, kind of making themselves even bigger. But <laughs> in our world, it's just a very smart strategic move. So, oh, yeah, very cool on that. So and to end our news segment, this is some fun news from Instagram, especially anyone who loves Boomerang. So if you're a Boomerang <laughs> fan, um, I don't know. Do you guys use Boomerang very often? I used, yeah. I used to, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's hit or miss with me as well. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, Ashley, what, what's going on with that news? It's kind of yeah, fun. Yeah, this one's more of a lighthearted story. But um, so Instagram is updating Boomerang to have um, a, a few additional features. Um in this article and actually i highly recommend you guys going and checking it out it's got a fun simulation of the um 
Oh, you know when Google times out and you hit the space bar and you can play the the game? That, yeah. Yes. Yeah. A fun animation of the dinosaur doing all the boomerang. Oh, yeah. I, I loved those little graphics in this article. <laughs> <laughs> but it shows like there are some fun things that boomerang is going to be able to do rather than just your... Um, yeah. Yeah. Like speed up, slow down. Yep. And so if you're an Insta storier, love the boomerang. I think you'll love the new update they've added um, with all the different just a little sp- types of sprinkle boomerangs. of fresh on boomerang. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. I don't really know what else to call them. Um, instead of just one speed option, now there is six. So. I think it just goes to show that again, Instagram is really starting to notice that a lot of people are spending their time on stories. They like kind of this. Um, authentic and realness to it. And so for them to just keep revising the tools and updating them just really shows that, um, yeah, they're taking notice. Yeah, they're paying attention Mm -hmm. and they're making changes to adapt to that and to consumer behavior. So very cool. So speaking of consumers, to segue in today's topic, we are again talking about B2C and B2B purchase journeys. So we'll be discussing this new leadership paper, which was commissioned by Adobe, which we were just talking about, forefront leader in the design world. And it was actually led by Forrester Consulting. So why did this catch my eye? So this caught my eye for a few reasons, but not to summarize the executive summary, but to kind of do that. (laughs) It explores the similarities between business and consumer purchase journeys. And then it identified cross-collaborative learning opportunities for B2B and B2C marketers. Then the report also evaluated how marketing technology can help. So details of the study. So we know it's authentic. (laughs) What did Forrester do? Who did they interview? Just um, so we can all be like, okay, what what was involved in the study? So they conducted an online survey with 552 manager level and that were at manager level or above at a B2B, B2C marketers that were involved in decisions related to campaign management or marketing technology. So it was a very high level study. The 552, that's a good amount. Forrester Consulting, um, really known for their Mm -hmm. in-depth studies. So we do know this was legit. And And this um, was also done in 2019, early 2019. So very relevant as well. So very new. Um, so the broad finding, they found that many of the characteristics that traditionally separated B2C consumers from B2B buyers are now migrating in either direction across those kind of artificial barriers that who knows who came up with those. But um, they've said that 52% of the company's survey agree that they've seen similarities in the way their business buyers and their consumers behave. So I've always kind of known this in the back of my mind that B2B buyers and B2C consumers are kind of converging now, like where it used to be they had separate buying paths. Now it's not separate as much anymore. But to see it actually in a study is very cool and kind of like, wow, we really need to sit up and pay attention to this. Mm -hmm. So what were the recommendations? They said... Cross-channel tracking needs to happen because it can help companies navigate complex buyer journeys. So what does cross-channel marketing mean? I know that's another term that's thrown around a lot. It's multi-channel marketing. It's omni-channel marketing. So whatever term you prefer to say it, it just means tracking and monitoring the action and movements data of your customers, your prospects, 
And this often means tracking as they go from business to personal, business to personal. Mm -hmm. They use these accounts seamlessly online. I know I switch around probably like three different accounts during the day on my computer. So how to track those and how to capture that data, um, so important these days. So very cool study, but let's dive into what this actually means and go over different sections of the report and how then we can implement it to kind of make it realistic for us because what's the value in just spewing out data if it really doesn't drill down and and mean something to us. So Alex, the first topic in the report, it said B2C buyers and B2B consumers behave similarly, creating opportunities for cross collaborations. So that's a, again, long phrase there, lots of word there, but what are the similarities and why does it create opportunities? So quickly, I'll talk about um, one of the first figures that they have in their in their report here. They talk about the five top characteristics of your traditional B2B buyer and your top five characteristics of your traditional B2C buyer, mm-hmm. and then how those have changed uh, into the new consumers and buyers. Um, so for traditional B2B buyers, your five characteristics were known, rational, interdependent, considered, and loyal. Mm. Uh, the three that have changed in that are is now they are anonymous versus known, emotional versus rational, and fickle instead of loyal. The two that stayed are interdependent and considered. Mm. Um, and so that's for your B2B consumers. Uh, for your B2C consumers, um, the, the, the traditional five characteristics were anonymous, emotional, independent, transactional, and fickle. Uh, whereas the three that have changed now is rational instead of emotional, interdependent instead of independent, and considered instead of transactional. Mm-hmm. Um, the two that stay there are anonymous and fickle. So between your new B2B consumers and your B2C consumers, um, the four characteristics that are now the same are anonymous, interdependent, considered, and fickle. Wow. Yeah. It's so interesting. And you normally wouldn't think of a B2B buyer as anonymous or fickle right. or, or anything like that. So it's interesting to see that now that B2B buyer is those things. Yeah. And so we can, I mean, as we can see there with the with the overlapping uh, characteristics there, there's a lot more similarity than there used to be. Um, uh, when you're looking at the traditional characteristics there, there, there are almost none that overlap there. Um, and as it has changed now, they don't tell, they don't give a time frame for like what traditional used to, like what they consider yeah. the time frame of traditional. Um, but interestingly, so 52% of those marketing managers that they interviewed agree, uh, that they have seen more similarities in the way their B2B and B2C customers behave in the past two years. Wow. Interestingly. So, um, also, there are a lot of increases. So they, uh, one of the other figures they talked about is how have the following elements of your customer's buying journey changed over the last two years? And the categories were um, customer expectations for more personalized buying experiences across the journey, uh, extent to which customers independently research our products and services, um, customer expectations for data-driven insights to perform their purchase decisions. A lot of these are pretty long, but basically mm-hmm. like the, the, the simple short summary of it is that all of these have increased over time. Um, so basically, your customer is expecting uh, more opportunities to be educated. Um, they're increasing opportunities to, or they're increasing their their request to stay anonymous, basically, yeah. um, and but still be able to engage 
in a deep way with <laughs> yeah, brands. Yeah, I always find that hilarious. They <laughs> yeah. want to, we want to stay anonymous, but we want it to be relevant. Yeah, we want, I don't want to, it to be personalized. We want to be connected to it, but we want to be anonymous. <laughs> so. and it's, it's kind of interesting too. So if you're wondering why maybe these behaviors are changing, it's most likely due to our behavior and how we use the internet. Um, where yes. B2C has had these characteristics for a long time and very traditionally like like B2B normally is, is slow to catch up. Um, but at, we're finding now over the past two years that B2B consumers have kind of caught up to B2C consumers and are adapting to how they use the internet and are changing their expectations and how they buy. Um, right. And I think another, and they don't have this in the study, the age of the participants, mm -hmm. but I think that's probably a big play as well. Yes. Where, um, you know, younger people are coming into the workspace now gaining those higher prominent jobs and that's just the way we have grown up that we you know are these things as well <laughs> as the older generations which we've talked about in a previous podcast um are now on board with facebook and on yes. social media and are and are kind of understanding the internet world now and so expecting um you know to be able to purchase things and find more information they feel more comfortable using the internet. And to that point, for you know, a, a company that's trying to reach a, a B2B consumer or a B2C consumer, it's a lot easier to reach that person just because there are so many more people online. Mm -hmm. And as a brand or a company, you can put your product or service in front of a lot more people. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, if targeted correctly. So I guess none of these statistics are too surprising to me. I wish they... If I if I had one interest, it would be just like a little bit more information about like the actual demographics of who yes. these people were. Yep. Yeah. Um, take a drill down on those a little bit. But I think the the overall takeaway um, is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, one point in that section that really stood out to me was the average length of time from first interaction to first purchase has decreased. So it's like almost like that's going a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that, that was interesting to me as well. As you start to think about that, um, your funnel how you're approaching your funnel might need to change a little bit um, because there's a shorter time period in between maybe awareness and sale. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, anyway, so moving on, the next section um, was more about ROI and how companies can track ROI. This is huge. Everybody wants to know, how are we tracking our return on investment? So Ashley, what is so challenging about that when we look at all the channels these days. Yeah, and we've said this once and we'll say it again, tracking ROI online has been a challenge for the past few years, but there has been so many other marketing automation softwares um, and programs and um, companies like Google and Facebook working really, really diligently to try and provide companies a strong ROI or, or at least metrics to track to, to determine that. Um, so it has been challenging um, and that is one of both B2B and B2C's biggest challenges is tracking that data across channels um, like we were talking about earlier. And so, for example, that could be tracking um, metrics and how that on social media and how that relates to maybe in-store data um, or, you know, um, data on, on their website or mm -hmm. e-commerce or whatever, and how all of those play together as opposed to very like siloed, right? You can easily find your social media metrics on the back end of Facebook, but how does that um, translate, you know, when you're going off social media to your e-commerce platform? 
Yeah, you really got to start looking at all of those a little more holistically yeah. and kind of starting to put together the data pattern of how people are are moving um, through your website, through social media, yeah. who's coming back to your site. And I mean, it's it's honestly, you can do it. It just takes a lot, a lot. of extra work a little yeah. bit. So and, um, and so in this report, a lot of the people surveyed um, had said that they, that was one of their biggest challenges was not only tracking all of that data, but understanding how to do it um, and then deploying it on a large scale. Right. So, you know, if you are a company that maybe is super interested in tracking this, you know, it might be beneficial to you to start looking for a data person to add to your to your yes. staff, someone who thrives on finding those connections and learning you know, to report that data back to you and how you can use that to effectively capture those customers. Exactly. So I guess that kind of brings us up to the next part of the thing, which was um, of the thing of the report. (laughs) Um, So the last part of the report was how do the cross-channel opportunities kind of work together and how can you implement something that's going to be able to track those? And B2B companies, like you said, they've kind of struggled with this, and but there is the desire to kind of capture that shortened purchasing cycle and to track that to better deliver um, you know, the right messaging at the right time. So um, interesting enough, and I kind of already knew this in the back of my mind, but interesting again to see it in print here. It said adoption of cross-channel campaign management and marketing automation technologies. It's poised to double in the next year as many companies plan to implement this in the next 12 months. So, Which is crazy. you know, I imagine they're probably talking about some bigger companies here, but I think there's a lot of value in smaller businesses sitting up and taking note of this um, because whereas you maybe don't have the budget to get a big marketing automation system, there you know, there's smaller ones out there and it's a great idea to start looking at how can you start tracking, implementing automating these messages to your prospects as they bounce from channel to channel, account to account, mm-hmm. um, you know. And we've been talking about AI um, on this podcast and on the blog for, I would say, a couple of years now. Yeah. Um, AI, we've had a lot more information on it. There's been a lot more growth on it. But I think 2020 is going to be the year that companies are going to have to start taking action on it or they will fall behind. Oh, yeah. I mean, and you want to deliver that messaging to your customer, no matter what channel they're on. Because again, what did you say, Alex? They're becoming in tune with the emotional messaging, but they want to remain anonymous. <laughs> so they might feel like they're remaining anonymous, but they're going to see the same ad and messaging across all their <laughs> platforms. And that's just more yay for the company and yay for the consumer as well as they will think, oh, well, this is relevant to me. And I've been thinking about this and now I'm seeing this messaging again and again really hammering home to me that I need this service, our product. (laughs) And I do think that wanting to be anonymous is so interesting, especially Mm -hmm. for, we talk about these personalized buyer journeys and whatever. They're also advocating to have more privacy online. Yeah. Um, And I think that's where that anonymous comes in and where 
these companies will face a bigger challenge, especially coming into 2020. Um, how do we deliver personalized marketing and a holistic marketing experience with very little data? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely some stuff and some challenges that, um, you know, for any marketer that they're going to be facing. So speaking of challenges, what were some actionable recommendations that we can provide? So it's not just all lost hope here that we won't be able to communicate <laughs> to people that want to remain anonymous. So Ashley, what was the first uh, recommendation here? Takeaway from the study? Yeah, so help buyers buy. Um, <laughs> seems simple enough, right? It does seem simple <laughs> enough, but I, I think it's truly just providing um, all of the information you possibly can you know, take some time, read into, you know, your buyers, what they're looking for, yeah. what information they need. Um, more information is better than none. And that just helps make the buying decision that much quicker. Right. Yeah. I like how it says here, um, you know, access to information, whether it's pricing, reviews, product specs, anything like that. They want to know that right online. I mean, how many times have you been on a website and you're like, oh, well, they aren't giving me the pricing. Next. Well, I don't even know if this is in my wheelhouse for my budget. Yeah, like, forget exactly. it. It's too much work. Exactly. I, and, and to go hand in hand with that, what I was going to talk about is, again, with the anonymity thing is you have to get comfortable with anonymity. You have to get comfortable with the idea of providing a lot of value before people are comfortable with part, parting with part of their an mm -hmm. anonymity. Mm -hmm. um, so don't don't ask, you know, if you're going to do... If, if you're on your website and, you know, for example, like, I don't know, you're a, you're a merchandise company and you have like a sizing guide or something like that and you like can put in your measurements and it'll tell you what size they recommend for you. Yes. Don't say, okay, we got your result, put in your email and like we'll, we'll tell yeah. you which size yeah. we recommend for you. Yeah, verbatim in this report, if, it says remove friction and add value throughout their journey. So being able to provide someone absolutely. their size and if, definitely if, adds value. If you do that well, people will give you their information. Yeah, um, yeah. If you are the person that educates them the best or gives them the best experience, they are going to choose you. Yeah, that's exactly. just like we've it's, seen yeah, that is that is proven. That is like you can't argue that fact. Well, and to use your merchandise sizing thing, <gasps> capture them in the moment. Just give them the sizing right there, and they're probably going to go through and make a purchase. But if Boom. you were to, oh wait, now we've got to send it to your email. In my mind, I'm thinking, well, geez, five clicks later, when is it going to come to my email? What if it goes to my spam? Ugh, you know, like just give mm -hmm. it to me right away and I can complete my purchase. Mm -hmm. <laughs> totally. Yeah, so definitely that. Um, start more conversations was the next one. So, so much data. And I think, Ashley, we were talking about this earlier on how um, this just convergence of simple decisions, even on the B2C side now, are just much more data-driven these days yeah. from whether you're going out to dinner or whether you're watching a movie. We're researching this online. What, what are, are all of my options and then which one is the best? Right, you know? yes. So from the B2B side, we need to be prepared to educate and inform customers at every step of the way because... Um, the, it's a transition from a quick transaction to now a long-term relationship that um, you just hope to have keeping that engaged conversation throughout that whole purchase journey. So it definitely um, an action there. Be aware, monitor comments, monitor reply to reviews. Um, anywhere that any of that's visible, just keep the conversation open with yeah. relevant information for them. And let's see who's taking our last 
actionable tip here. Aim to be omnipresent. We're not talking to be godlike, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think by omnipresent they mean be on all channels as much as in what makes sense. Right. But I think we're coming to a point now where if you're not on all channels, you might miss um, some customers. And right. You're, you're just giving your potential consumer the opportunity to interact with your brand on their time in the way that they want to. Mm -hmm. Right. Because um, as it says here in the last line of that little tip, learning where they expect you to be at every step of their individual journey. And that's really as any consumers, whether you're B2B, B2C, you want to be looked at as an individual. That this was tailored to me, that this is important, this is cool. So I think just really... Yeah, being there across all the channels. Again, that cross-channel marketing, omni-channel marketing. <laughs> so we will definitely link this PDF in the show notes so you can check it out and um, you know, just research how this applies to your business. If you're a really traditional B2B, maybe you need to start adopting more of that B2C mindset because yeah. behavior is shifting. And I know this has been happening over the last few years, but I think just really now it's just really, really evident that it has shifted. It's mm -hmm. just not, it's not coming down the line anymore. It's here. It's here. <laughs> it's shifted. And we have to adopt our marketing to, you know, get on board with it. So we want to know what are your thoughts on cross-channel marketing opportunities connect with us at 21 handshake on social media and let us know what questions you have maybe you just have some thoughts maybe you have some observations on what's happening in your own business we would love to know any and all of that did you like this episode hint yes of course you did then please like subscribe leave us a review and share it with a friend on whatever platform you are listening on it really does help us get the word out until next time <laughs>